Hello and welcome to the Thought Experiment. I'm Scott Berger, and I'm here to guide you through a series of hypothetical journeys through mathematics, physics, and philosophy. So the thought experiment for this week isn't so much of a thought experiment as the ones we've been covering, but more of an idea or an intro to an idea that will spawn many, many more thought experiments to come. The subject for this week is the ever-important quantum mechanics, or intro to that at least. What would happen if the predictable solid world that we're familiar with was on the smallest scales probable and fuzzy? So like all thought experiments that we've been doing thus far in our podcasting series, uh, the history aspect of these thought experiments is always a very fascinating realm to delve into. The history it's of quantum mechanics itself is a vast and complicated subject that itself could span a whole volume series of books or even its own library, perhaps. In the latter part of the 1800s, a man named James Clerk Maxwell had just united the field of electromagnetism with a bunch of equations of his, now, this had really just culminated the whole period of discovering what exactly is light. Throughout the 1800s, physicists were really concerned with, you know, what was light, how did it propagate, and sort of things like that. And this Maxwell fellow took all of the equations that eminent people had come out with and put them in a nice little neat organized format such that, you know, we can pretty much do anything with them. So it, it brought to light a lot of physical circumstances surrounding electromagnetic wave propagation. Now, not too long afterwards, a young scientist named Albert Einstein came onto the scene, and he had been asking himself all sorts of questions about how light worked. In about 1905 or so, he publishes his theory of special relativity, which brings the human world just one step closer to understanding all the mysteries of the universe. And yet, soon after... This, talking about 1920s or so here, a man named Max Planck figured out what quantization was, or the fact that certain things can only come in discrete bunches and not continuums. For example, if we have one shoe, we can have any integer number of shoes. Shoes are quantized, we'll say. You can't really have half a shoe, it's kind of like a sandal, but... Even so, if you had a shoe and cut it in half, that's not much of a shoe. It's half a shoe and pretty much useless. So it doesn't really make sense to talk about shoes in terms of half shoes or quarter shoes or 3.419 shoes or what have you. We usually talk that talk in terms of I would like to order you know, 20 pairs of shoes or one shoe or nine shoes. Similarly, light the electromagnetic wave that we had been discussing earlier was found out to be kind of like a bunch of shoes in the sense where instead of light coming out of a flashlight like in a beam like a straight continuous wave that goes on and on forever 
the beam itself is made up of little light shoes, in a way. And these little light shoes are called photons. And so we can only have a discrete number of these photons, and this quantization of light pretty much gives birth to the field of quantum mechanics. Now, Einstein had fought with Max Planck and his associates, like Niels Bohr, in order to have a universe that makes sense, much more than the craziness of the quantum mechanics universe that we'll find out in just a minute. Quantum mechanics, more or less in a nutshell, basically states that certain atomic properties, like energy levels of atoms, can only have discrete quantized values. We can't have 1.5 energy levels of a hydrogen atom, let's say. So from this, we get postulates that propose that we can model waves as light particles, which makes sense from the standpoint of shining a flashlight through a hole in a sheet of paper. If we take a sheet of paper and punch a hole through it and shine a flashlight on it, it will create a small, bright dot on the other end of the room. This comes from the fact that if we have a bunch of light shoes exiting the light bulb of the flashlight and then coming to the little hole in the paper, a lot of light shoes or little photons are going to bounce off of the paper while a narrow beam of light shoes, photons, mind you, are going to go through the paper, through the little hole, and make the little circle of light on the other end of the room. So what happens if instead of a little circular hole, we instead put two vertical slits? Now this is called a double slit experiment. But let's think about this in terms of ocean waves first before we tackle light. Now, if we have two slits, for example, and we have them underwater, and we have waves of water that come in, pass through the slits and come on the outside, the waves come face on to the slits and the thing that the slits are in, but when they pass out through the slits, they create these propagation of waves, sort of radially as opposed to up and down as they had been coming into before. Now this is a very hard experiment to visualize just from me telling you through word of mouth, so if you go into Google and type a double slit experiment, it'd be a lot easier to visualize what I'm talking about. So we have waves of water that we're still dealing with now that come out of these two slits. But when the waves hit each other, they cancel in certain places. If you have an up if you have a wave that's at its very peak and a wave that's at its very bottom and you add the two, you get a pretty much a flat line. So when you add waves, you superimpose them, another vocabulary word, to a flat line. Now if we were to look at the far wall where the original light dot was, and we have our ocean waves coming in, we'll have a distinct pattern of vertical lines where we have a high amplitude ocean wave coming in and striking the wall, and a low amplitude wave striking the wall. So let's go back to our flashlight and empty out the room of all this water. If we shine a light beam on these double slits, it creates the exact same pattern, suggesting that light is indeed a wave, just like ocean waves. Now, what would happen if instead of a beam of light, we used a beam of electrons? Now, it may not sound too totally different, beam of light and beam of electrons. Well, they're both beams, right? Well, light particles, the little shoe particles that we talked about, 
don't have mass. Now this is something that's very interesting and very bizarre to talk about, and is a subject for a whole other conversation. But photons, in the end, don't have mass, but electrons do. Electrons are the familiar matter things that we know that orbit nuclei of matter, what we're all made of. Electrons are not light, cannot travel at the speed of light, and are a totally different phenomenon than what comes out of a flashlight. But they exhibit the same diffraction pattern that light would seem to make when we pass it through those double slits. So we can conclude from this, as well as other experiments, that matter, in terms of electrons, but we've also done this for uh, other ma more massive particles as well, we can conclude that matter has wave-like properties also. But electrons just don't cancel each other out like ocean wave amplitudes. The pattern that we see on the far wall that was similar to the diffraction pattern from light with the black and white vertical stripes, if you type it into Google, that pattern, when we do electrons through it, is generated by what's called a wave function, or something that is encoded, encoded in quotes, in each electron telling it where to go prior to its interaction with the slits. So before the electron gets to the double slits, it's both a wave and a particle. But if we try to pin down which slit the electron's going through, the pattern disappears and the electrons show only a particle-like behavior. However, if we don't try to spy on the funkiness at work, the pattern is still produced. So, how would this apply to real life? We often hear of quantum mechanics, but what, what application does it really have? Well, particles acting like waves are certainly a bizarre thing to be talking about. A lot of people are familiar with particles, but not so much with waves. What would happen if the headphones you were wearing were made of waves instead of particles? Well, if they were, for one, you couldn't find them very easily. Since electromagnetic waves are self-propagating and exist over a huge distance, well, if they were, for one, you couldn't find them very easily, since electromagnetic waves, A, are self-propagating, and B, exist over a huge distance. So, you go to try to find your headphones to listen to some science podcasts when you realize that the probability of finding the headphones is monstrously low everywhere, from negative infinity to positive infinity. Wow. Can you imagine how hard it would be to find a television remote? Similarly, if we threw a chicken at a double slit, it would have a probability density associated with it, where we would expect to find most of the chicken in bands across the screen at the other end of the room, with more chicken in the center bands than at the edge bands. Now naturally, quantum mechanics does not work like this on such huge scales. Quantum mechanics such as the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle or other things involving that work only on the atomic scale, and when we mean atomic scale, we really mean atomic scale. We're talking atom-sized things that really don't apply. Thankfully, the laws of quantum mechanics only apply to the super small. The probability that you're in your seat versus one of your atoms being in Alpha Centauri's orbit is very high. So high that for scientific work, it approximates to 100.0%. Some of the great things about quantum mechanics, though, make us wish we could use them on the macroscopic level. One is called zero-point energy, and the other is called tunneling. Now, zero-point energy, often used by crazies and nutsos without logical training in physics, is an energy that exists where, if we try to confine a particle in a very small 
theoretical box, its energy keeps getting larger and larger. Now this is the sum total energy, so both the rest mass energy and also kinetic energy for you physics majors. If we were to somehow to exploit this in a reasonable and non-time-cube-like fashion, we would hit the bank in terms of energy production. Now tunneling is where if that box around the electron or proton or what have you gets small enough, the particle will be so energetic it will just blip right out of the box without even making a hole in it. Imagine robbing a bank and by just increasing your internal energy so much that you could just zap into the bank vault. Quantum mechanics opens up the world of physics into a strange chapter of probability and very hard math. While its incompatibility with general relativity, the physics of the very large, is a distinct problem, the chances it opens up for amazing thought experiments is worth its weight in gold, as the next few weeks will demonstrate.